Hey there, welcome to the Happy Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Nari. We like to talk health and well-being. We do it every Monday and Thursday. We've been doing it for two and a half years now. Almost 250 episodes in the archive. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please consider subscribing and most importantly, sharing, sharing with your friends, family and colleagues who you think might get value from this podcast series. Now, every so often we like to talk to experts on subjects we think you may have interest in. And uh, let's be honest, we all have interest in this next subject, food and nutrition. And I'm delighted to be joined by Sinead Cloherty, a nutritionist. She's a health coach and an expert in making healthy eating easy, tasty and fun. Well, that sounds like fun. And thank you so much for making time to join me on the Happy Habit podcast today, Sinead. No problem. Happy to be here. Sinead, we seem to have a complex relationship with food. It's a big question. Can you tell me why? Yeah, so in my experience, and I specialize in, in weight loss at the moment. So, you know, initially back in 2016, I started off in clinic and I was seeing people from all walks of life for different reasons. Um, but then I noticed the majority of people that were coming in were women who were struggling with weight. Um, and I had my own struggles with that in the past as well. So I focused on that area and decided to specialize in that area. And what I've noticed is it's it's due to all of these kind of diets that are out there and that we've done in the past and, you know, that's created these rules around food that just hasn't really helped us with our relationship with food in general. So there there is a lot more to it. You know, you hear the saying, eat less and move more, but it's just so much more complex than that. And really, we have to look at the person as an individual and make sure that any changes that they are going to make are going to be sustainable because normally with these diets in the past you'll notice if you think of any of them they're normally quite drastic changes and then the person can't sustain that long term so then they end up putting the weight back on as well so we know from the science of behavior change which is what I like to focus on as well as part of the process that, you know, changes need to be simple and easy to implement so that the person can actually sustain that long term. You know, nobody wants to lose weight if they're going to put it back on. It's just a waste of time. So sustainability really is what I focus on. Well, I noticed that from your social media platforms, sustainability is is the watchword. And you referred to your own experience with food. And uh, I saw in one of your posts, you figured out how to eat croissants and still lose weight. Can we dig down on that term sustainability? You mentioned diets and yo-yo diets and these being short term fads, which people successfully do for a very short period of time and then find they rebound. So how can we tap into that sustainability? What is the key to that for you? So I guess it comes back to the fact that, you know, there is a lot of misinformation out there, you know, about nutrition and that, you know, certain foods are fattening and that kind of thing, which is not necessarily true. Um, I suppose in, in most in the most simple of terms, you know, in order for fat loss to happen, there needs to be a calorie deficit. So we need to consume less energy than we burn and we will lose weight. And it doesn't really matter the types of foods that you're eating to achieve that. But at the same time, obviously, if your diet is is, is mainly processed foods and not whole foods, that will cause other issues, which would lead to overeating and sugar cravings and all of that. So it is obviously preferable to have good whole foods in there. But the key is we don't have to cut out the treats completely. 
And it's this all or nothing mindset that people can get into and they get stuck in that cycle. So they cut out everything, all the, the good stuff. They stop socializing. They go off the alcohol and everything in order to lose weight. And then once they reach their target, those habits that they have are still there because they haven't really learned how to incorporate those things while still making progress. So they just go back to where they were, if that makes sense. I saw elsewhere, you also mentioned there are four factors that feed into eating poorly and this habitual eating. They include hunger, emotional eating. There's a lack of willpower and lack of education. How can we combat, let's say, for example, emotional eating, which is a huge problem? That is something that I, I work with my clients on a one to one basis. So it depends on the trigger for that. You know, I suppose that's the first step is identifying the reason for the emotional eating. So, you know, it could be due to restriction, for example, it could be because somebody is avoiding certain foods, you know, trying to be really, really quote unquote good, as people call it, and, and not eat, say, chocolate or whatever. And then when they do, it turns into emotional eating. So they just continue to eat that because they're depriving themselves. So there, there's many different reasons. And obviously, some people eat for comfort as well. To address that, I think the best first step is to kind of ask yourself some questions. You know, when you feel the urge to eat emotionally, what am I feeling right now? What am I thinking? That that will identify what's going on, I suppose, in your head and, and the emotion that you might be trying to resolve through food. Did you ever watch that program that was on television in recent years, Secret Eaters? where cameras would be installed in people's homes and they would monitor what they, they ate. And the people living in those homes were stunned to see just how often they visited the fridge. People eat mindlessly quite often. They're not aware of what they're putting into their bodies. So is one of your approaches, is it to catalogue exactly what people are eating on a day to day basis? Not even if you're going to catalogue the calorie intake, but just the actual kinds of foods and the food groups. Yeah, for sure. So something I practice as well and, you know, um, with my clients would be mindful eating. So ensuring if possible, it's not always possible, but if possible to 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 be sitting at a table when you're eating your food um, to chew your food slowly, that's going to be good for your digestion anyway. You know, a lot of digestive issues are simply down to the fact that we're eating really, really fast. So really slowing it down, putting your utensils down between bites and noticing when you're not hungry anymore and stopping when you're you know 80 percent satisfied because it does take 20 minutes for that signal to be sent that we're full and for the brain and the gut to communicate that signal so if you're eating your meal within a 20 minute time frame you know that's why we can easily overeat so you might notice or remember a time where you maybe went to a restaurant and you were eating your meal and then you felt okay and then you had dessert and everything and then you left and maybe half an hour later you're like whoa i'm stuffed time is you know is crucial so if we can slow down and and aim to be sitting down then you will actually just realize that you've eaten because if you're eating on the go like you don't feel satisfied from the food anyway you don't enjoy it. It's interesting that you say there to make the decision to sit down at a table and actually eat because so many people are sitting on the sofa and watching the TV or Netflix or whatever it is. So they're losing track of what they're 
putting into their system because it, they're distracted by what they're watching on the TV. I've heard this elsewhere. So you're, you're a big believer in that. So getting away from distractions and just focusing solely on the food. Yeah, I mean, it just it's going to help you to eat less when you're chewing slowly and everything. And I suppose what happens is if you're sitting on front of the TV, your your brain is elsewhere, your mind is elsewhere. So like you're not your body's not really processing the fact that you're eating anything. So you you won't feel as satisfied from your meal. If you're sitting in front of the TV, you might end up eating more as well. So that's kind of, they're the pitfalls with that. You mentioned behavioral aspects uh, as far as consumption of food is concerned. Why is it so many of us seem to be good during the daytime, but then when it comes to six, seven, eight o'clock at night, we reach for the biscuits and we reach for the, the high carb foods. Do you have any insight as to why we do that? Yeah, so there could be a couple of things going on. Um, for some people, it might be that their blood sugar levels are imbalanced. So, and, and if we have a blood sugar dip in the evening, depending on, on the foods that you've eaten previously that day, that could actually cause that stress as well, tired you know we might end up reaching for something then if your blood sugar level is off kilter the other thing it could be a comfort could be just a habit really so and and that's why it's really important you know when you're helping someone to get from a to b in terms of losing weight or just changing their habits in general that we address those things through behavior change coaching to work on those those underlying habits i suppose that have led to the person becoming overweight or whatever whatever kind of negative impact it's had so you seem to take a holistic approach really to the person it's not just about their food intake and their calories and their the food groups that they're consuming but also the the behavioral aspects then that that feed into for want of a pun that feed into what they're consuming on a day-to-day basis yeah so the behavioral change is probably the most important part because Otherwise, you're kind of just giving people information, but without helping someone to change their habits, they'll just revert back or their results won't be sustainable. So I suppose then the behavioural aspect of it allows the client then to put their behaviour and their eating patterns into context for them. Yeah, exactly. So I suppose, yeah, so behaviour change coaching itself is actually something that's been studied and proven. So it has a 90% success rate. So we know that we can help people to change their habits over time. And once something becomes habit, you do it on autopilot every day so you can create better habits and it doesn't require willpower or motivation because they're things that we cannot rely on. And especially at the end of the day, like you mentioned, we are utilizing our willpower or we're having to make all of these decisions every day. By the end of the day, that willpower bank is very, very low. We won't have much of it by the end of the day. I think we have something like 60,000 thoughts in a day. I'm not sure how many decisions we make subconsciously, but there's a lot. So in order to ensure that you can sustain the changes and the results, the key is to, to changing your habits and then you no longer need to rely on motivation or willpower. To, to maintain your results. And you mentioned the behavioural aspect of this is scientifically proven. Is that a new departure? Is that new development in this whole area of management and sustainable weight loss, etc., over and above what used to be the, the standard, really, which was literally just diet and that was it? Yeah, it's just coming to the forefront at the moment. I, I see a lot of coaches now and that are getting getting qualified in in behavior change coaching, which is really promising. So it's definitely coming to the forefront 
at this time whereas yeah years ago it wouldn't have been something that would have been you know acknowledged at all really is the the term diet is that a dirty word then i always say it depends on your perception of that word do you know what i mean if we look at the the definition of diet is somebody's eating pattern but i suppose when we say you know when i say diet and and the women i speak to say the word diet i know exactly what they mean they mean a restrictive eating pattern that had an expiry date if that makes sense but if someone asks you how's your diet you'd normally tell them your your eating pattern but i guess yeah most kind of quote unquote diets out there they do have an expiry date it's kind of like you eat this way for a certain amount of time to get to your goal and that's it then you know there's no advice or guidance on what to do after the diet there's no maintenance so when we focus on the individual and you know we're we're working with them to change their habits over time but also in a way that's personalized to them that means that they're going to be eating foods that they would normally eat and we don't cut out any food groups we don't have you know so many rules about things so for them it feels less like a quote-unquote diet and more like they're just changing their habits over time it feels less like punishment i'd say by the sounds of things because you've said something there which i find is quite interesting that you don't really eliminate anything you you allow things in proportion but you don't punish in the same way as traditional diets might have punished yeah this it's just not necessary you know there's it's just not necessary in terms of the science behind fat loss we don't need to eliminate certain food groups or or foods and most of the people i work with will tell me in the first couple of weeks now that i know i can have that treat whenever i want if i want it i don't want it anymore so it gets rid of that all or nothing mindset as well like somebody's relationship with food is really really important because A lot of people, including myself, who have done kind of really strict diets in the past, that's led to binge eating, you know, so we really have to be conscious of someone's relationship with food and protect that as much as possible, you know, when they are wanting to make changes. So when you're working with clients, then in that case, to achieve sustainable weight loss, I know it's going to be different for different people. But is there a time frame at, at all that you adhere to to achieve that, that target weight possibly that that person is looking for? Generally, I would work with someone for a minimum of three months. And that's a, a sufficient amount of time really to work on the, the behavior change and to re-educate them on the nutrition side of things as well. And just get them to a place where they're confident going forward that they can carry on on their own so they've created new habits and they just don't need me anymore which is the goal you know I want people to be self-sufficient and I always laugh and say I'm probably the only business that doesn't want repeat customers because (laughs) if I do have them it means I haven't done my job because my ethos is sustainability you know I've, I've been there I've done the diets and I know what that's like so I want people to succeed and not have to worry about this ever again. And I suppose when it comes again to sustainable weight loss, and this is where it's different from the short term diets, these people are making changes that hopefully, well, you hope at least, and they hope will last until the end of their days, essentially. So this is a lifestyle change as opposed to a short term change in in intake in food. Yeah, I mean, that is the, the thing like this should be for life. You know, you shouldn't need to hire another coach ever again or do another like you would understand I suppose once you understand the science behind fat loss and all of that you can see how those other diets do work but 
they're just unnecessarily restrictive you know they all lead to the same thing but there's just no need to be so restrictive like we can do this in an easier way and and one of the key aspects i suppose of changing a habit is that it has to be easy for the person to implement otherwise they're not going to sustain it and i suppose too you want people to continue to enjoy a healthy and a good a positive relationship with food which I know talking to other people, let's say people who have been on paleo diets or keto diets or if they've given up meat completely and they've just been vegetarian or even vegan for a period of time, it seems that that restriction in whatever way seems to negatively affect their, their love of food. Yeah, it definitely can do, you know, probably not for everyone, but just th- this is just in my experience, the majority of people that I speak to. Um, yeah, it hasn't. It's, I suppose it, they create rules around food, you know, and I suppose we as humans, you know, we don't like being told what we can and can't do or can and can't yeah. eat, you know, um, like that's not fun. It's not enjoyable and it makes things like, you know, holidays or, you know, social events difficult as well. Like, So then from a nutrition standpoint, then. If we can go back to some of the basics, just for the for the benefit of myself and, and the listeners, what would, should we be looking to take in as part of our diet as far as the breakdown of nutrition is concerned between fats, carbohydrates and uh, proteins and and all of those different food groups? Yeah, so I guess it, it depends on your goal. Do you mean if somebody wants to lose weight or do you mean? I, I think from a point of view of just, just general nutrition, what should we be looking to aim for as far as the nutrition and food groups are, are concerned? So I think a good way to, to look at it in a really simple way is kind of the, the 80-20, 80-20 rule, you know, where 80% of your food is ideally whole foods, minimally processed if possible. And the other 20% of that is what I call fun foods, or it might may, it might be, you know, include alcohol as well. Do you know what I mean? If someone is having a few drinks or whatever. Um, so if you look at that, I suppose, from, you know, your calorie intake, I suppose, you know, you have maybe just, you know, uh, an example of, let's say, someone who roughly has 2000 calories per day, well, then, you know, you could say like 20% of that could be for whatever and the other 80%, you know, ideally is whole foods. Um, Protein is really important. Like most people um, are not getting enough protein and it does help to balance your meal and it'll help to balance your blood sugar levels. And you can get protein from plant sources as well. It's not just, uh, it's not just going to be meat. Um, The other thing that's really, really important um, for gut health, which basically is involved in almost everything in the body, it's really, really important, um, is to get a wide variety and color of different plant foods um, throughout the week. So that would be your fruits, vegetables, beans, legumes, herbs, spices, nuts and seeds as well. Um, but the the variety is the most important thing. So like, you know, studies show that I think it's 30, 30 in a week is optimum, but um, each color is counts as one. So green pepper, red pepper, yellow pepper, that's that's three you've got for your weekly total. But you, you need 30 in the week and you can't repeat. 
certain ones to count towards that number, if that makes sense. But in general, I mean, our parents, you know, when they told us to eat our veg, like they, they weren't wrong, you know? So yeah, they're the, the main things I would say is, um, yeah, 80%, you know, whole foods, if possible, minimally processed, 20%, whatever you fancy. Um, that's important as well. Um, protein uh, with, you know, all of your meals, if possible, and then a wide variety of, of plant foods and color in there too. What about fats? Because fats is obviously, and fat intake is obviously a huge subject. What kind of fats should we be taking in and which ones should we be avoiding? The only ones really that you would need to avoid would be, or that you might want to be conscious of is is that the trans fats, you know, so they would be in things like processed foods and, and that kind of thing. Um, but the other fats, I mean, if, you're, if your diet is fairly balanced, like the, the fats isn't going to be a huge problem. Even saturated fats, like there are some benefits, even um, butter, for example, real butter has short chain fatty acids and and butyrate, which is actually good for your gut health. So it really just comes back to the amount that you're having. Having said that, you know, omega-3 fats are really important and something that probably we're not eating enough of. So you have your um, omega-3 and omega-6 and, you know, years ago, the ratio of intake of omega-3 to 6 was um one one to three whereas now it's one to 15 or 16. Ah. so we're getting loads of omega-6 and not enough omega-3 um, and if we do get enough omega-3 it'll balance it out and it just um ensures that we're not putting the body into an, an inflammatory state um so omega-3 obviously you can get from you know you can supplement but if you have two portions of oily fish per week you'll get all the omega-3 that you need from that you can get it from plant sources as well but it's going to be just a little bit more difficult it has to go through an extra process in the body to get converted if that makes sense just looking ahead to the next few weeks obviously we're coming up to the the holiday season and christmas around the corner which provides all sorts of juicy and lovely and tasty temptations for people how can uh, people with all of those festivities in mind how can they practice some degree of of um of good eating behavior yeah i would just say like don't do anything drastic so where i see people go wrong with this is that if they have one treat or one yeah one treat or whatever all of a sudden they feel like they've ruined everything um, so they continue eating badly then. Um, it's called the what the hell effect, actually. It's it's actually a phenom- phenomenon that's been, you know, identified. Um, so when we feel feelings of guilt and shame about doing something, it actually lights up the reward center in the brain and causes us to want to do more. So you'd see the same kind of thing effect happening in people who gamble, you know, even though they, they lose money or whatever, it's giving them some satisfaction so they they keep going and, and and this works the same if we feel guilty about eating a treat or whatever that may be so i would say you know just relax and like if you're having something you know that you feel is is maybe not you know not what you'd normally have or consider to be um you know healthy as part of your diet or whatever but just enjoy it and remember that you know one treat 
uh, or one meal out of maybe 21 meals in a week, it's not going to do any damage, but how you perceive it will. So if you can just have it and enjoy it and that's fine, then, you know, you'll be able to be, be mindful, I guess, is, is the key thing. And yeah, slow down and just trust. I guess you have to kind of trust your, yourself. As trust well, yourself. It's fascinating, actually. I didn't realize quite how much of a psychological component uh, that uh, you placed on things. I mean, you're almost a behavioral psychologist as well as being a nutritionist. Well, I wouldn't have that qualification, obviously, as a psychologist. But yeah. I mean, I am uh, trained in in behavior change coaching, mm. and that is really an important part of the process. I would say, obviously, when I first started um in 2016 like i did you know i didn't even know what behavior change coaching was um but i was kind of applying bits of it myself unknowingly so now that that's a part of of my uh, approach i can notice the the difference i can in people's results and the sustainability massively well it's really interesting for me obviously because of the name of this podcast happy habits i'm fascinated with habitual behavior and psychology and uh, the, the reasons why we do the things we do so it's um that this is the reason why i reached out to you because i thought oh, this is a different approach certainly from what i had seen before Sinead, before i let you go can you tell me how listeners can get in contact with you if they want to find out more information about the services you provide the best thing i mean obviously on on instagram you can check out my instagram there there's obviously a lot of content and I think people can get a feel for for me and, and what I do as well so that's uh, at Sinead Cloherty Nutrition so it's C-L-O-H-E-R-T-Y because a lot of people struggle with the surname um, and then aside from that I suppose my my email is um, info at SineadCloherty.com as well. And you're happy enough to to, to take on new clients at even in the run up to Christmas, I presume. Yeah, so I suppose I don't really, I, I won't work with anyone unless I have a conversation with them first. So I offer a complimentary discovery call just to go through, you know, um, what they're struggling with, their goals and everything. Um, yeah, because for me, it's just not ethical to, to, to work with someone if I don't first have, a, have that chat and see if I'm the best person to help them. So sometimes I will end up referring on to maybe another professional if I don't feel like it's a good fit. So I offer that complimentary call and you know, you'll know you see that uh, on my Instagram and, and on the website as well if, if somebody wants to schedule one of those. Well, Sinead, I really appreciate your time today. I know you're a busy lady and uh, as I, I actually saw you online and I saw some of your socials and uh, I thought, yes, this this is a person who knows what they're talking about because as you said, there's so much uh, disinformation out there at the moment. So if people are, are listening in, uh, we'll put all of your socials actually in the show notes for this particular episode today. But uh, can I just thank you again for taking the time to join me on the Happy Habit podcast today? No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me.